0: Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I'm so grateful you're here with us, and I am very thankful to be your host. Now, we're going to be looking at a few places on the internet today about Vikings in North, Central, and South America. So we're going to start with Vikings in South America over 400 years before Columbus. Now, this comes from ancientoriginsunleashed.com. So thanks for being here. Do leave a five star review. Check out our other podcast on the channel and uh, join us daily. Subscribe. So let's get started. This is cool. Here is presented the widely dismissed account that probably sometime in the mid 11th century, this 1050 ish time of fascinating popes, actually, Danish Vikings from Schleswig and the Danelaw, as ascertained from runic rock inscriptions, arrived at Santos in Brazil proceeded inland to Paraguay. From a fortified hill near the Brazilian border, they occupied a defensive position for some part of two centuries, keeping watch on a nearby small mountain. It's reported that in the 20th century, beneath the mountain under observation was discovered a large area whose walls and roofs were built of concrete unknown to science and can't be opened but relieved to conceal a network of tunnels. That's fascinating. Ancient world concrete. You know, they just discovered how the Romans did their concrete. I did a podcast on that. Like so many of these tales, it needs further investigation to enable verification, but nonetheless, it provides food for thought. So the Vikings in South America, academic historians generally, do not admit the presence of European visitors to South America until after the arrival of Christian Columbus, Christopher Columbus. Therefore, for them, all talk of Vikings traveling anywhere south of Nova Scotia before 1492 is not even hypothetical, but pure fiction. And so, uh, in order to maintain this pretense, historians have found it necessary to discard what might be to others common sense or replace it with a preposterous theory. And uh, the best example of this is the case of the Bunso sheepdogs. Got a great picture of uh, Columbus here with the kind of the uh, Il Coronatu there. Never mind that. It was the custom of pre-conquest Incas to be mummified with their dogs. A variety of dogs found at graves in Ancon, Chile by Professor Nearing in 1885 was anaba- analyzed by two French zoologists. In the 1950s, he determined that the variety could not be descended from the wild dogs of South America. They matched them to Canis familius el patustris rut, of which numerous skeletal remains have been discovered. All at Bunso on the Danish island of Alsjutland. Now, the anatomical coincidence being deemed perfect, the difficulty then lay in accounting for how these Danish dogs got to South America before the Spanish conquest. Huh. The French scientists got their heads together and decided that the Danish Vikings must have given some of their Bunso sheepdogs to Norwegian Vikings who took them to Vinland. When the Norwegians were ejected from Vinland by the natives, the dogs must have been carried from Vinland to modern Canada, or they must have passed from hand to hand ever southward by tribes, which did not want them, involving travel by land and sea, and then climbing mountains into Peru, or they were adopted by the Incas. Now, see, to me, it's just, that's possible? plausible, maybe. But so is it that the Vikings, these massive seafaring people, made it to South America? So, and it calls it a nonsensical explanation was the only scientific theory available. That is, it would fit the accepted history of finding, of the finding of the Americas. But if, because I can remember when I was young, they didn't even, they said, there was no Eric the Red, there was, the Vikings didn't come to America. Well, now they're like, oh, okay, maybe. And now they're like, not only maybe, but yeah, okay, that happened. Same with the Chinese in America. Did I, um... But if that account were wrong, a more common-sense explanation may be the Danish Vikings brought the dogs with them when they sailed to South America from Europe in the 11th century. Another great picture of Vikings. The Viking Protectorate in Paraguay in 1085 A.D., King Nut II, had 1,700 ships for the western expansion. See, that's amazing. I didn't know it was that many. For the greater distances involved a special type of wooden sail, which had been developed for greater speed and sailing. Much closer to the wind has proved in experiments by Amy Lightfoot with the Viking Ship Museum, Roskilde. Strangely for Europeans so far from home in the 11th century, the Danish Schleswig Vikings in this account seem to know exactly where they were heading. They came ashore in Santos, Brazil, found the path which had long been previously prepared and made their way on foot to uplands located in Ama Bay, twenty five kilometers sixty miles southeast of the modern town of Pedro Juan Caballero in Paraguay the Sierra Cora is a ring of three small mountains, five kilometers three miles across, three kilometers one point nine miles of this ring is the mountain Itigoimbite, which means fortress. Long before the supposed revival sir, yes arrival of the Vikings that had been hollowed out to make one, hence its name. I did want to say, too, you know how when the Spanish got to Central America and they were like, oh, you're here with the prophecy of these white-skinned people coming and all this. Maybe the Vikings are who they were talking about. The anthropologist who investigated the area in the 1970s, Jacques de Mahou, was a French-Argentinian anthropologist leader of the Spanish neo-Nazi group Sedade, who has proposed various pre-Columbian contact theories. Yeah, not a neo-Nazi, and claimed that certain indigenous groups in South America descended from Vikings. Through his observations, he decided that at some indefinite time in the past, the construction's purpose may have had some kind of military observation. So, no, he's got an angle here, this guy does. So, it's got all kinds of stuff. The low mountain, Itaguambe, lies on a north-south axis. It's 1.2 miles in length, 100 meters high. The X-Fortress is a section cut off at the south end, 984 feet long, 60 feet, 66 feet wide. Opening for access, the sides are of natural rock, a quarter of the way up the ground, which above it blocks an unequal side. Tailored to fit smoothly together. And uh, similar to anti-earthquake walls in Peru and Bolivia. And uh, the fortress would have been abandoned either in about 1250 AD when a native rebellion succeeded in expelling the Vikings or earlier once it served its true purpose. Of have additional additional interest in the area. This is fascinating to me. is the Norse temple at Tuakke, excavated in the 1970s. And the fact the total of engraved runic inscriptions and paragrade, this blew my mind runs in the, the thousands and exceeds that of all of Scandinavia. 71 of it been translated from the South American Furhork dialect. One five-letter runic inscription was found inside Hittikwam Hype, but has defied translation. So you've got all these rune stones, more rune stones than that are in the Scandinavia. I mean, what else are you going to say? Um. in those days there reigned in this region a powerful and wise king called Ipar. he was white and wore a long blonde beard with men of his race and Indian warriors to him he lived in a community situated on the crest of a mountain he possessed fearsome weapons and had immense riches in gold and silver one day however he was attacked by savage tribes and disappeared forever that is what my father told me he had heard it from his father So, that's like an ancient tradition down there. 1940, Berger wrote to Munich mentioning that he knew of tunnels in the Cerro Cora, 130 kilometers long. So, was that Vikings? Then you have the mysterious Bald Mountain and Impenetrable Slab. That is the concrete that they couldn't get into. So, uh, we're just going to skip there. So, there is evidence that the Vikings were in South America. But, uh, that's not all. Let's go here. Ancientorigins.net. Years before Columbus, Leif Erikson, his life and his voyage, adventure to the new world. 492 years before Columbus, another European by the name of Leif Erikson temporarily colonized the New World. Leif Erikson was born about 970 A.D. in Iceland. i got stuff popping up here on my iPad. Want me to subscribe? He was the son of Eric the Red and his wife, Throljud. Probably mispronounced that. Leif had a sister, Freitas, and two brothers, Thordston and Thorvald. Together they were the children of a man who colonized Greenland. According to the sagas of Icelanders, Leif was the first European who landed on the t- territory of modern-day Canada. Before that, Leif grew up in Greenland, where the family of Eric the Red moved after they colonized the land. Leif's wife was Thor Guna, who gave him at least two sons, Thor Gils and Thorkel. Thor, very popular, Thor's day. Leif Erikson is remembered as a considerate, strong, and wise man history of the exploration of Leif's family started from the day when Thorvald of Voldston, his grandfather, was banished from Norway for manslaughter. Our Valdsson began the family's first adventure in the company of his son, Erik the Red. The family lived in Iceland until Erik was banished from his new home and started traveling west, laying in a place now called Greenland, 986. A little bit of climate change there, too. There's also a Leif Erikson Memorial at the Port of Seattle gorgeous. I may have seen that, like in person. I know I saw it here. <laughs> that was not the end of the family's travels, however. Leif left Greenland seeking an adventurous life. Should be noted that like his father and grandfather, he wasn't banished from his homeland. Leif died around 1020 in A.D., but during his lifetime, he was a legend Leif left Greenland the first time at age 24 and went to deliver gifts to King Olaf of Norway. And uh, when Leif returned home, he reflected on his grandfather and father's explorations. Thus, he bought a boat and started preparations for the greatest journey of his life. Sources say that he sailed west for 600 miles and saw land with rocks and high glaciers, which he called the Slabland, Hellaland. It looks like Labrador. Nowadays, researchers believe the place was Baffin Island. Until I don't know my Canadian geography well. Nowadays, uh, Baffin Island, Leaf and his crew didn't stop their journey there. Decided to sail on south where they saw land with beach and trees they called the Markland. The woodland it was perhaps the eastern coast of Canada. When they found the right place, they decided to build houses to live in for the winter. After preparation, the coldest period of the year, Leaf sent out an exploration group. They are very excited about finding grapes in the area, and so they called it Vinland, or Wineland. Grapes were one of the greatest treasures you brought back to Greenland. Got the northeast coast of Baffin Island. Looks like a beautiful, beautiful, well, looks like a beautiful ice-covered pyramid, but we won't go there, but glacier. Leif and his wife had left the faith of the ancestors and became Christians, He'd been baptized by King Olaf Tregvasin and became sort of an evangelist to Vikings. Now remember, Vikings baptized in Jesus' name. I've got it, at least many of them did, I've got a video on that. Leif also observed that's over at New Life of Albany YouTube. On served on the court of Tregvassen in Norway after returning to his homeland, he tried to convert all of Greenland into Christianity. They built the ch- first church in Greenland same time, Eric stayed a follower of Norse paganism and truly disliked Christianity. While Leif was away in modern North America, perhaps part of Newfoundland, Eric was worshipping his old gods. Before he left, Leif hoped that his father would follow and join him on the trip. So, according to legend, Eric did give his opportunity one chance and rode a horse to go to his son's ship. However, getting closer to the harbor, he fell off the horse, which he took as a bad sign. Prophecy of the Bad Sign may have been true because they never saw each other again. Eric died during the winter. Got a great map here of all this. And so excavations, converting legends. A Viking village of the 11th century was discovered in 1960 in La Anse aux Meadow on the northernmost top of the island of Newfoundland. Archaeologists unearthed eight houses and food remains. They also found remains of hunted animals such as caribou, wolf, fox, bears, lynx, marten, walrus, seal, whale, and all types of birds and fish. So there's leaf in North America. There's a little recreation. Beautiful green grass. Greenland became part of Denmark in 1814. In 1932, a great group of archaeologists from Denmark excavated the farm of Eric the Red called Bratahild, meaning steep slope. So, they found a church there. Wow. Which was surrounded by a wall to keep farm animals out. Very close to the church, they also found a hall where people could cook their meals. The fellowship hall. In a fire and spend their free time playing board games. They were kind of worldly, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, 1961, another discovery. A horseshoe shaped chapel dedicated to the memory of Eric's wife, Thrajold, was found. So. This provides a glimpse into the fate of the woman who followed her son and converted Christianity. It would hold uh, 20 to 30 worshippers. While excavating the chapel in 1960, archaeologists discovered 144 skeletons. Most of them were once tall and strong people, very similar to modern Scandinavians. Amongst the skeletons was one group of males that was buried in a mass tomb. They died in a battle, evidence suggests. One of them even found a large knife between his ribs. Three skeletons that were interred close to the church wall, medieval accounts reported that people buried close to the church were the first in line to Judgment Day. Researchers believe these three skeletons must be Eric the Wed- Red, his wife the Jordhild, and their famous son Leif Erikson. Nowadays, their bones rest on laboratory shelves in Copenhagen. So you can't do anything but say, you know, that's pretty cool. There's just no other way around that. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, it's pretty incontrovertible. So they were in South America. They were in Canada. And uh, let's see if there's anything else here. I'm uh, what I'm doing right now is I'm actually doing some work as I'm doing this podcast on the biblical archaeology today. Because I want to do one too, eventually, on ancient bronze artifacts in Alaska reveals trade with Asia before Columbus arrived. So that's pretty fascinating. So I'm kind of setting that up. Ancient earthworks of North America suggest pre-Columbian European kind of... I mean, and this doesn't even take into account, like, they think they have found... Philistine or Phoenician metal mining in northern Michigan. Um, So that's pretty amazing right there. So let's see if we can uh, bring some more stuff out. Vikings didn't just pop into Canada For a visit, they stayed for centuries. This is also on ancientorigins.net. This will be the last we do in this particular podcast. Do you remember that 1992? This comes from the article "Electro Techno Tune" by KLF America. What time is love? Which at the beginning declares this music as a thousand-year-old celebration of the Vikings of modern-day Norway reaching America. Well, that actually happened. How do we know? Well, a team of scientists have been digging new truths from a bog near the ancient Norse explorers' Newfoundland ex- uh, settlement, which indicates the barbarian Vikings might have been integrated with natives of North America over a thousand years ago. Five centuries before the Christian discovery of the new world, Norse, ancient Norwegian explorers, Established a remote colony in Newfoundland, known today as La Ansox Meadows, which we've talked about earlier in this podcast. What's well, always been believed the occupancy at the site was short-lived. Microscopic new finds are demanding the length of occupancy be revised. And then some, three days ago, I reported on the team of archaeologists 218, who excavated a peat bog almost 100 feet east of La Ansoxaw Meadows and discovered a layer of echo facts, environmental remains, Radiocarbon dating to the 12th, 13th century, that's 11 or 1200s. Paul Ledger, lead author of the postdoctoral fellow at Memorial University of Newfoundland, who took the sedimentary core samples from the bog, discovered a layer of trampled mud littered with woodworking debris, charcoal, and the remains of plants and insects. He found that they dated to the late 1100s, early 1200s, long after the Norse were thought to have left Newfoundland, never to return. There's also, you know, advertising another thing here. Did a Native American travel with the Vikings and arrive in Iceland before centuries before Columbus set sail? And did the Vikings use crystal sunstones to discover America? See, there's just too many great archaeological stories here. And we've already seen the battle that some were Christian and some were pagan. The discoveries from the bog included a bronze cloak pin, a soapstone spindle piece, iron nails and rivets to make clear to archaeologists the Norse were here. Stolen tools found at the site believed to have belonged to the Beothuk people Thuk. Beothuk. were thought to have been brought by natives revisiting their traditional hunting camp to scavenge metal tools and resources left behind by the European fisherman, a Beothuk woman. They've got a picture of possibly Demes Duit Mary March. Everything about this place requires rethinking. It says the radiocarbon dating undertaken by Ledger and his colleagues was published Wednesday this week by PNAS. And this is not this week, by the way. And so it was a uh, nine, was the early date for arrival. 1145 was a late date for leaving. So maybe a couple centuries. And uh, some people think it may be 710 to 1130. And uh, they think maybe there was another occupation of the site between 1540 and 1810 AD. What Ledger finds really interesting is the pollen test and dead insects, including Simplicaria metallica from Greenland and Acidota quadrata found just south of the Arctic Circle. He found the ARST Technica that in Greenland and Iceland archaeologists generally study the open areas between buildings and the environment around settlements where the North Atlantic teams tend to focus solely on the structures themselves got great pictures of insects and seeds and all of this what's next to this fascinating remote Viking outpost well they're going to keep working on it and keep looking there's also a medievalist article about it as well so this is just uh incredible things and this is one of the wonderful things i like about archaeology is cuz it's not settled people make hypotheses um and then i mean it will become orthopraxy and orthodoxy and then there you have it. It's blown up within five years and then as my doctoral professor in biblical archaeology told us he said then new truths emerge which I'm not a big fan of saying it and wording it like that. But God bless. Thank you so much for being with us. This is longer by far than most. This is Possibly one of the longest podcasts I've ever done. We'll talk with you later. God bless. Subscribe. Leave us a five-star review, please. Join us daily. We love you.